This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Tuesday post-Memorial Day edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. Back in the midst of a three-game winning streak for the New York Yankees to talk about the Memorial Day weekend marker point. What do we like about the team? What frustrates us? And what are we worried about? It's not like these three wins following three losses have been all that comfortable. They lost Harrison Bader for a little bit. For who knows how long? They lost Anthony Rizzo, who's supposedly fine, but didn't play yesterday and isn't playing today. They almost lost an 8-3 lead in the seventh with Garrett Cole on the mound. They almost lost a game that they eventually had to walk off. Uh, against the San Diego Padres on Saturday. And then they they run and hit a little bit yesterday, thanks to Aaron Judge, but really thanks to only Aaron Judge. We're going to talk about the Garrett Cole issue, wrap up the weekend, talk about where the Yankees stand at this key checkpoint in the season. And also it sort of seems like Aaron Hicks is maybe going to a division rival. So we're probably going to lead off there. Also, the 2004 Red Sox were not reincarnated in the 2022-23 Celtics and it's important we remember that and talk about it a little bit, too, because we got our names dragged through the mud this past week. Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter showed up to game four, and oh, what a jinx. And oh, haha, ha, we're laughing at the Yankees from 20 years ago. Well, not really, Boston. It's not that easy to come back from 3-0, I guess. And remember, the 2004 Red Sox were actually favored to start that series. But if you want to hear all that more, you can find us on the audio feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do get your podcast, drop us a five-star review. Mailbag question, we'd love it. If you want to find us on YouTube, we're here every Monday and Thursday, typically 2 o'clock Eastern. Because of the holiday, we're here on a Tuesday, but we thank you for being here anyway. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the show, Rapid Fire Intro, and you have a brand new promo for our fans who love promos. Yeah. Uh, so first it was New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Then it was just New Jersey and Connecticut. Now it's everybody. It's all Yankees fans. It's all Yankees haters. Uh, we are not statists anymore. We we want everybody. We want everybody where there's gambling legal to enjoy this offer. Um, so I'm excited to share some great news with you guys. We are, in fact. Um, if you have not yet signed up for DraftKings, we've been talking about this for quite a while now. Um, you got to take advantage of this limited time promo. Um, through this weekend for new users, all you have to do is deposit money and place a $5 or greater wager on any sport, and you will instantly get $150 added to your account in bonus bets. You got to be a first-time user, though. Don't forget about that. Whether you win or lose, another big point of this, you will still get the bonus. Just place the bet. It's got to be $5 or more. You're set. All those bonus bets go right into your account. All you have to do is use the code YanksGoYard at sign up. And here's the thing, using that code, again, Yanks Go Yard, not only gets you the bonus bets, but it also supports the podcast. So if you don't support us, you get a bunch of money in bonus bets, and then you can say that the people you hate gave you a bunch of money if you end up turning that into money that you can take out. So I think it's a good deal either way. If you haven't yet signed up for DraftKings, please do us a solid. Please sign up with the code Yanks Go Yard. Place that first bet. Deals like this are what keep our podcast going year-round. Thanks for the support, guys. This offer is only available for new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. I will be the first one to tell you that all the time. And check the episode description for for the full terms of this offer. Um, Yeah. So great offer for everybody. Great month of May for the Yankees. Um, People are complaining because – that's what people do. You have a couple of rough losses in there, um, but this is the best team in baseball in the month of May. I don't know yep. 
I don't know what what the beef is right now. I know there are some holes, there are some issues, but they're weathering the storm. Aaron Judge is still the best player in baseball. Um, they're managing to get by at this point, and they have people on the men. So I don't know where do we start off. I don't know. I'm I'm happy they're they're 17 and eight entering yesterday. I don't know whether like they were 17 and eight since Bader came back. They yeah. they won yesterday, so now they're 18 and eight. But Bader left in the middle of yesterday's game, so I don't know if that's still since Bader came back. I don't know how everybody wants to classify that where the Stickler Patrol is, but they do have the best record of baseball in the month of May. This is a really tough upcoming stretch. Uh, they they face Kirby and Logan Gilbert, who's been their kryptonite the next two days. And then they get a day off, go face the Dodgers in L.A. three times in a row. No one's going to act like this is easy, but uh, they were facing a significant challenge yesterday in Bryce Miller, who had a 1-1-3 ERA in his first five big league starts, was the talk of the game of baseball. And the Yankees pummeled him. And it was Judge, but it was also Jake Bowers, who is probably on the chopping block coming up. And it was also IKF IKF again. Um, And so Oswaldo Cabrera feels like the natural first down to me when they're going to need to bring people uh, back up from their minor league rehab assignments. Although not really because Harrison Bader is probably going on the aisle today. It just makes it all easier. Uh, Aaron Boone, right before we started this show, talking to Talking Yanks, said – you know, he's going to miss at least the next couple games and maybe it's an IL stint. To me, that means, A, all right, fine, not so bad. But two, definitely an IL stint because we've got roster decisions to make. Um, Willie Calhoun all of a sudden hits cleanup and is hitting over 250. I think he's pretty safe. Uh, Greg Allen is going to be Bader's replacement for a while, I guess. And he's also, they, they shucked Aaron Hicks off the roster for him. So he's not going anywhere. So I would say Bader IL delays their decision. Maybe Calhoun looks bad for a while. Then they make a different choice in, in 10, 12 days when Bader comes back. But I think it's Bader to the IL for Donaldson. We lose Cabrera for Stanton. And then we all uh, figure that out when, when it comes uh, when it comes time. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the weekend of New York Yankees baseball. I am. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, you know, again, Tough loss in the finale against the Orioles. Bats just didn't do anything. They got three hits. One of them led off the game. One of them was with two outs in the ninth. That's the worst offensive performance possible. So they go into Memorial Day weekend with Randy Vasquez making his MLB debut against the Padres. And he looked pretty good. But still, that's Randy Vasquez, a guy who was struggling at AAA. All of a sudden has to make a Friday night primetime start against a team that's been scuffling but has Xander Bogarts and Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. They lose that game. They really need to find a way to regroup and win the series, and they do. Uh, they go up 8-3 in the Garrett Cole game. They really need to find a way to hold off the Padres. That becomes 8-5, second and third, no outs in the seventh. Borderline an 8-7 game. They get out of that inning at 8-6. Marinaccio does great work. Uh, which is a theme in the last couple of days. And then they score two in the ninth. Clay Holmes walks the first two batters at the bottom of the inning. All-time stressful Sunday, eventual 10-7 win, which doesn't sound that stressful. But they get the job done, and then they blow the doors off yesterday. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about the winners of Memorial Day weekend. For me, it's I think Vasquez deserves to be a winner. I think IKF deserves to be a winner. I think Luis Severino deserves to be a winner for breathing fire in that uh in that game but then of course you know how many people can you list off before you get to Aaron Judge who 
First 45 games of last year, Max Goodman just put this together. 2022, hit 304, 1028 OPS, 17 bombs, 37 runs scored, 36 ribs. 2023, get that IL stint out of the way, hitting 302, 1087 OPS, better OPS, still 17 bombs, 39 runs, two more runs scored, and 38 RBI, two more RBI. Judge has actually been better than last season. So we can play around with saying Randy Vasquez held his own, and he did. Play around with saying IKF looks comfortable and like a nice utility piece, and he does. But the winner of the weekend and the reason the Yankees exist and are 10 games over 500 and during this tough stretch is Aaron Judge. Yeah. Uh, best player on the planet. Who said that? Matt Carpenter said it this <laughs> yesterday. He is, he's he is the than... best player on the planet. He is the deserving MVP last year. He's yeah. the best hitter in baseball. He robbed the Teoscar home run yesterday for good measure. There's no one I'd rather have on my team than Aaron Judge. I'm sorry. It's kind of true. Um, yeah, people will view that as some sort of Shohei Otani slight, um, but we're – acclimated to judge we know what he's capable of we know his exact impact um it's not even really meant to be a slight it's 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 like they're one and two for me they're one and two for me uh and judge's defense is exceptional otani doesn't play defense otani pitches i'm well i'm well aware Uh, uh, nobody break that news to me like hop on hop on the podcast tell me otani's a pitcher i know um uh, he's fantastic those are the two players i'd most want on my roster but aaron judge is the offensive player i want on my roster. Absolutely incredible. He keeps it, he keeps it going last night um, with an all around effort. Um, Who are my winners from this weekend? Um, I don't know, man. It kind of was a frustrating weekend, even though you get those two victories in there. Um, Glaber Torres would have been somebody who was a winner to me, but he has that error on the Saturday game, which almost torpedoes the entire series. And, it's hard to give him, you know, credit for his hot bat because of everything that because of these simple defensive miscues that keep slipping through the cracks. You have Anthony Rizzo getting injured in the finale. Um, I yeah, it's got to be IKF. Higashioka came alive, so that was nice to see. Um, I know Michael King only got like one appearance, but it was it was pretty dominant. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, I think overall it's just the Yankees bats and the Yankees bullpen. That's why I'm giving credit to um, for the last uh, the last few days um, because we do have a lot of issues with the starting rotation. We'll get Nicole in a minute, but um, if the bats keep doing this, it doesn't matter. It'll give the starting rotation breathing room. If the bullpen can get these reinforcements sooner than later and still, you know, perform admirably they don't have to be mlb best performers but if they could be a top five bullpen in the league that's a huge win for us they'll be we'll be able to cling on to some close ones um so i think that's where i'm going i'm I'm pleased to see the collective effort with the bat with the bats um and the 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 way that they're punching back still is not has not been a short-lived topic of discussion it's now been three plus weeks now so that's where that's where i'm landing with this crew yeah, and I think IKF again, like not a starting shortstop, and I don't care, and I don't care. Played last night, but you know, not a starting shortstop and an underwhelming option if he's in your lineup every single day. But last thirty games, eighty-one abs, twenty for eighty-one, three homers, uh, four stolen bags. Who cares? Hitting two forty-seven, and his last seven games, of course, hitting two seventy-three with a five forty-five slugging. 
Uh, I feel good for him. He's not somebody who deserved to be booed on the way to their car after a playoff rainout last year. He's a lifelong Yankee fan who is a utility player who should be a bench piece who looked like less than that last year and through the beginning portion of this year. And he is finally finding his footing. And I like when I get the Yankees, uh, you know, the Yankees Twitter push notification saying Izzy does it or it's a clutch situation. And I get the IKFPN. I'm like, I kind of had bizarre faith in him uh, a couple of times this weekend. And he snuck those doubles down the line. Good for him. Now the losers of the weekend. Yankee fans stop booing Fernando Tatis Jr. for using steroids. Stop doing it. Don't do I it. Like it. Uh, I don't know when the next time you're going to see him is. Again, look, you can do whatever you want, but he is the kind of player who's going to roast you for it. And uh, he did. He hit some uh, massive homers. And if he, he also came up late in the third game of the series as the tying run against uh, Jimmy Cordero. Himmy Cordero, who got him on a slider low and away. Uh, and I'm glad he did that because he had like a, he had a prime opportunity to toast the Yankee fans three times in three games. Uh, I guess that just made me wistful for when it used to mean something when we could actually intimidate opponents instead of like picking the wrong one and making them rise to another level just to make us feel weird and bad. Uh, so I guess good for Fernando Tatis Jr. And you can boom if you want, but he's, he's probably going to stomp you out. And he did. Uh, but let's talk Eric Cole because uh, mm. we, we've already accepted that hey, maybe Nestor Cortez is going to take a while, right? We thought he'd be one of the stable guys in the rotation. Maybe Severino throwing 98-99, able to get into the seventh inning of Sunday's, of Saturday's game. Maybe he's that stable rock, right? Maybe Nestor Cortez still has some things to figure out. Chris Kirshner had him. He starts tonight, entered uh, innings one through four. He's a 2.03 ERA, fifth inning or later, 14.44. So that's already a significant problem. He's got to figure out the stamina thing. But we can't afford another significant problem in the rotation. And Garrett Cole has been that for a while. Uh, he started off this season looking like an absolute Cy Young favorite. Five and a half ERA, his last five starts. Uh, I think it's 5.67, eight homers in his last five starts. Last seven starts, all things considered, 4.76 ERA, 1.44 whip. He's checking out his thumb two starts ago against the Orioles, but then nobody really presses him on it why are you looking at your thumbs your thumb okay we just move on and say oh yeah he's okay he said he's fine whatever uh but the long ball's back uh can't keep guys off the bases the shutdown innings are not happening and then again i, I hate saying like your ace can't do this you cannot have this but you you really can't have an 8-3 lead cruising to a series win on sunday and give up uh you know Base runner, home run, base runner in the seventh. If you start the seventh inning, it can't be a Rubenetto door two run shot, and it can't be three base runners, no outs, and two runs scored. Uh, you can't be turning that over to Jimmy Cordero and eventually having to go to Marinaccio and Holmes in a game where your ace led eight three. And some of that was the circus play where they were throwing the ball around. He, he got an unearned run on his record, but far too inconsistent lately. The stuff is still there. And for some reason, the location is not. Whether he's being bothered by some blister or he's just falling into a rut, he needs to figure it out. Because we we can't have our ace being the sort of middling version of him that we've seen in the past with occasional flashes of absolute greatness, but mostly a lot of uh, taking the foot off the gas pedal in games where he should not be doing that. Is this a surprise, though? No. It's kind no, of been... Yeah, it's we, everything we we've been accustomed to. It. We thought we'd move past it. It's yeah. not a surprise, but... Yeah. I, I think I think maybe we thought too soon 
I, I don't know if we're ever moving past this. I, I don't know if we're ever going to get Houston Astros version of Garrett Cole, um, you know, pre-sticky, pre-sticky stuff band Garrett Cole. Um, it's Garrett Cole in an elevated spotlight, which is something that's it, – it's the greatest spotlight he's ever had in his career um, because Houston and Pittsburgh are not even comparable to New York. Um he is the unquestioned ace of the rotation, um, which, you know, it adds to that pressure um, and the ability to sustain Cy Young caliber play throughout an entire season is very difficult to do. Garrett Cole has only been able to really do that with the Astros when he was playing second fiddle, whenever he was whatever substances he was using there, which we know the, the Astros were once again, the pioneers of the RPM Renaissance or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, and I know Garrett Cole's time in New York began in an awkward situation with an awkward situation. Pandemic hit Yankees team was underwhelming. 2021 was like literally the worst season of baseball for a winning team, maybe in history. If you watched all 162 games and actually understood what we were talking about, um, and then 2022, it was a little bit of a roller coaster. 2023, he gets off super hot, and now we're back to kind of where we were. Um, you look at the baseball savant page, below average in average exit velocity, hard hit percentage, expected slugging, barrel percentage, walk percentage, whiff percentage. That that's that you that can't happen. And I know that he was unquestionably the best pitcher in baseball probably the month of April. Um, now that's kind of normalized. It's probably normalized a little bit too far to the other side for our liking because that these, these, he can't be blue in all those categories. Um, walk percentage. He cannot be walking that many batters with percentage. He's got to get more swings and misses barrel percentage. He's got to miss more. He's got to miss more barrels. So I am not exactly pessimistic on the cold front. I've kind of accepted him for who he is. I know we're going to get otherworldly stretches from him. And then I think we're stuck with these stinkers and we're going to have to live with it. The only thing that really matters to me um, is his ability to just get the job done in must win games, whether it's down the stretch or whether it's in the postseason. He got, he, he, he really, we gave him a hard time kind of for uh, the 2020 postseason just because he gave up that home run to Austin Meadows. And it was beyond frustrating because Austin Meadows is not a good baseball player, but Cole pitched very well in those two games against the Rays. Roldis Chapman blew that game five. Then 2021, he was injured. He didn't want to take the blame. He didn't want to use the injury as an excuse, but, you know, fart noise in Boston was what it was. I think we're over it at this point. Last year, dominates the Guardians. Had a little bit of trouble against the Astros. That Astro series was doomed regardless. So I, I don't know if we're going to go back and cite that as a as a Garrett Cole gaffe, if you will. But um, yeah, you know, the ch- if Harrison Bader doesn't drop that ball, I yes. mean, Chaz McCormick doesn't homer, but also please just get the number nine hitter out. Uh, so they're, it's, they're, the, it's the ultimate short porch job. It's not. Yeah. It's like Chaz McCormick took advantage of the fastball, yeah. flipped it out there, but that should never have happened. Yeah, very frustrating. But if Cole can just figure out how to dial it in when we need him to dial it in, which I think more times than not, he has done. It just hasn't been enough because fans are always going to hold the contract against him. They're always going to compare him to other aces across uh, MLB. 
uh, and look at any other ace across the league, you know, go look at their game logs. They don't have very few starters are able to sustain consistent dominant success throughout the length of 162 game season. And then even starters who end up doing that, you'll see them flame out towards towards the postseason. So for me, if the offense could sustain itself, Garrett Cole can work through these kinks and have these stretches at fairly opportune times when he's at least getting run support, then that's going to be fine with me. If he can rediscover himself when the postseason or stretch games comes come along, that's going to be big. I would – you know, I, I just want to see these these peripheral statistics improve a little bit. And I want him to get these, you know, these hiccups in these situations where he has to hold the lead or he has to give us a good start early on so that when August, September, October come around and we need that win against the Rays on the road, um, you know, and we need the, the that win against the Orioles at home, he's just going to get it done. For now, this is just the Garrett Cole that I'm accustomed to. And I don't know if that's being pessimistic, but that's, that's my take. That's true. And, and he has been good in the playoffs by and large, very good, especially last year. Uh, but this is the Yankees are going to need those big wins down the stretch. This is a good team, not a great team in a flawed forest. There are a lot of flawed teams floating around competing for wild card spots and honestly competing for the AL East. I, I don't know what the Tampa Bay Rays are, but I know that they're, they've been a little hot and cold since their historic start. They're going to check in below the Yankees' historic start last year. They already have 17 losses. It took the Yankees far longer to do that last year. And the Rays are doing it on offense alone, really. The pitching has not been that great. So uncle- they're certainly catchable. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Are the Yankees going to catch them? I don't know. I'm not going to make a prediction on May 30th. But somebody could. They're catchable. If somebody wants to wake up, you can get them. The Orioles lost Cedric Mullins, and everybody sort of believes the Orioles are a good team, maybe not a great team yet. They could be a great team moving forward, but I don't think anybody is thinking the Orioles are unbeatable. The Blue Jays are still in last place. The Red Sox offense is great. Pitching is fine, but sometimes the offense isn't great, and they're probably exactly where they should be. Uh, The Mariners are better than they've been. They'll probably get better, but... The Astros are pitching reliant. Jose Abreu just hit his first home run of the year and disrespectfully slid into the dugout as the Astros tweeted 10 runs in front of tens of fans. That team sucks, but they're also still the team to beat until we, uh, you know, prove otherwise. I I honestly am more afraid of the Astros and Christian Javier than I am of the Rays. Yes. Uh, And the Twins have incredible peripherals, but they can't win baseball games. So I would say the Yankees are good, not great. A lot of teams are good, not great. The Astros are good, not great, but with a championship pedigree. And the Rays are great, but got to see it for a little longer than this. So uh, Yankees have some things to clean up, but they're they're going to be in it down the stretch, and they're going to need Garrett Cole to be one of their constants because there are so many other things that are going to be variable. Uh, and speaking of those Orioles, before we just move on to the back end, uh, Aaron Hicks seems likely. To Is be it happening, happening? It hasn't happened yet. I keep checking, but, uh, you know, Joe's McFly was the first on this. Hell yeah. Uh, we talked to Robert Murray, a little bit fan insider, who says this is close. Uh, he tweeted it as well, so it's not like I'm not blowing up the spot there. And Mark Feinsand tweeted. It's close. John Heyman credited Robert Murray and said it's close. Uh, it's close. 
Uh, Cedric Mullins probably going on the IL there. Hicks going to get a chance. Uh, good opportunity for Aaron Hicks, who I think we all knew would probably go to a contender first, considering he's got pedigree. But I am worried that this is a situation because I, I want to see Aaron Hicks succeed. I also don't have an issue with the Baltimore Orioles in any capacity. If he wants to go there and play well in Cedric Mullins' absence, that's great. Good for the ascendant Orioles. Uh, that doesn't really worry me. But I do fear that this is sort of a situation where he's going to fill in for Mullins. It's going to turn into this Gary Sanchez thing. It, it'll last longer than six at-bats. But Gary Sanchez has gone from the Giants to the Mets, where he got seven plate appearances, now to the Padres. He's just going everywhere with a catching injury. And that's a sad thing where I, I would rather say I'm glad Hicks is going to get this experience, but I think it's more likely that he ends his year with like 180 at bats on the Reds. than he ends his year with the Orioles. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think if the Orioles are actually seriously considering this, you know, the number one factor that they're considering here, it's the yeah. Yankees revenge factor, because that's what, that's what all these other teams value when they're signing former Yankees players, uh, especially ones that leave the Bronx unceremoniously, which is exactly what happened with Hicks, even though he started to find a little bit of a rhythm with his bat before ultimately being released. What was it now? 10 days ago. It was like last it was Saturday. Saturday before this past one. Yeah. Um, starting to get into a groove has that huge hit against the blue Jays, the insurance RBI. And then he's released over the, or he's DFA over the weekend against the reds. I think that if they're leaning into that aspect of it and they have how many more, how many more times do we see them? Seven more times this year. We played them six times already. Yeah. Those. It's two more series. We've got, yeah. we've got two more series with all the AL East teams, except yeah. for the Red Sox. We have all four left with the Boston Red Sox yeah. for whatever reason, uh, a week from this two weekends from now. And then three weekends from now, we get our first six out of the way with Boston. All right. Yeah, I know. I know that the Orioles, if this is actually on their radar, that they are that they want that they want that vengeance factor, um, especially because they have a number of games with the Yankees, especially because their outfield depth is underwhelming beyond Mullins and um, uh, Santander and Hayes. Hicks is a switch hitter. You never know. A little bit of um, of a de-emphasized uh, change of scenery could could help him out. You know, like mm -hmm. like we said, I don't know if he's ever. Going to return to the, you know, kind of toolsy player that he once was, but we saw the bat waking up a little bit. He did perform okay in 2020, so, like, the he's not too far removed. A couple of injuries derailed him in the process. And you just have the familiarity in the AL East. I know he hasn't been good in the AL East, but, you know, teams weigh these factors. I think the number one thing is that if he can – if he can be motivated by playing against the Yankees or competing peripherally against the Yankees, you know, in the division, that that's going to have some sort of comeback value for him. Um, and I am scared for when he inevitably comes to the plate against Garrett Cole in a tight situation, because, you know, you know, you're going to be worried about a home run. We don't play the Orioles again after July 30th. For some reason, it's the third through sixth at home. Yeah. Come to the sixth. That's Nestor Cortez Duncan drink koozie night. Shout Ooh. out to New York Yankees for giving away uh, like a little piece of foam for the fans. Really, there you really go. shelling Environmentally out. friendly. Shelling out the dough for a quality giveaway. Here, have this foam. Oh, it doesn't actually fit my drink. Oh, that's all good. Wait, I actually can't hear you. No, enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy the foam. 
Um, and then they go to Baltimore from uh, the 28th to the 30th. So pending a playoff series, that'll be it. It's more likely, I guess, Aaron Hicks is there in July than it is he is there in September. So uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. Seriously know. considering. Uh, and if you are seriously considering joining DraftKings and you live anywhere in the United States, we're happy to share this with you, Yankee fans and everybody. Uh, if you have not signed up yet, you can take advantage of a limited time promo through this weekend for new users for DraftKings. All you have to do is deposit and place a $5 or more wager on any sport. You'll instantly get $150 out of your account in bonus bets. Whether you win or lose, you'll still get the bonus. All you have to do is use the code YANKSGOYARD at sign up. Using our code YANKSGOYARD not only gets you the bonus, but also supports the podcast. If you haven't yet signed up for DraftKings, please do a solid sign up with the code YANKSGOYARD. Place that first bet. Deals like this are what keep us going year-round every Monday and Thursday. Typically, the offer is only available for new customers who are 21-plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for, for full terms of the offer and check the corner of this live video feed for the code. It's right there. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Do we want to, let's actually, I guess, talk baseball before we talk basketball for a while. Baseball. Um, we will talk 2004 Red Sox uh, bullshit by the end of this podcast just because I'm extremely, I'm just beyond tired. I, I was beyond tired for the last week and I'm beyond elated that that is now over and we can have an honest conversation about the another Boston team trying to co-op the city's own history as well as why we hate Boston so much. It's about the figureheads of the city more than it is about our friends from Boston who are by and large nice people but have already gotten to celebrate a lot of times in their lives and don't really need more celebrations but act like they do. I digress. Uh, Anthony Volpe. Yeah. Yeah. He was my weekend loser. Like... He so he didn't play yesterday, right? Got the day off. Um, I don't doubt that Anthony Volpe is a big part of this team moving forward. This conversation is for his benefit, not for anybody pulling the plug on someone who's had the number of moments he already has after two months. It that is ridiculous. Uh, he is also vaulted up these statistical ladders before falling back down. He got himself close to 230 before falling into an extended slump. He made great defensive plays before falling into a defensive slump. He is now below uh, 200, hitting 198. Hopefully is in the lineup on Tuesday, but I don't have any issue with them not starting him on Monday. Uh, I just have to wonder if, if playing through MLB action right now and struggling through it is actually best for his growth as a player. He has had moments of such poise and such talent that late and clutch scenarios, turning around that Nate Pearson 98-mile-an-hour fastball and depositing it in the left field seats in Toronto for insurance run purposes. The talent is obviously there. He is the Yankees' starting shortstop. They made that determination. The plan is for him to have that role for this year and next year. He struggled almost with the exact same numbers when he hit double A to start last season. I'm not saying he can't turn it around. I think he will. I'm just not sure if struggling through MLB action is the best course of action for him. We are looking for room for Oswald Peraza right now. 
We don't totally know what he is, but we know he's probably not a triple A player. He probably can conquer Major League Baseball. I don't think you can demote Volpe right now. And I think the Yankees have backed themselves into a corner, but another month, like a tough June, and you might have to have that conversation, especially if Peraza stays hot. I just wonder if they have buyer's remorse declaring him the shortstop of the future so early, only to see him sort of be treading water at this point. He's got positives, but he's doing more damage to the Yankees than he is helping them right now. And the stolen bases have also gone away. Two in his last 23 games, zero in his last 15. So that's a problem. This is a guy who is supposed to be wreaking havoc on the base paths. He's supposed to be distracting the pitcher every time he gets on base. I know that that's been infrequent, but I feel like even when he's getting on base, the we're not, I don't know if it's his decision or if it's the Yankees decision, he should be just going. He is the fastest guy on the field. More times than not, he's going to be safe. He stole 50 bags in the minor leagues last year. Like, mm-hmm. let's get this guy moving. Um, so that's issue number one. Issue number two, do you want to bring up the defense? I kind of do. Arm is weak. Not entirely accurate. I think Anthony Rizzo has bailed him out a ton this season, if you've watched games regularly. Um, his range is good, but he's booted some very routine grounders. One that comes to mind was the uh, um, was the one oh, – was it over the weekend or was it against the O's with Nestor on the mound? It, like, bounced off the mound, and he was in perfect position for it. Um, and then that's when one of the spiraling innings – began i forgot i forgot exactly the moment i'll, I'll look it up that was um, that was really nestor before the fraser home run i guess before the fraser home yeah so exactly um thank you so you have those situations you have the you have the arm strength that is not tremendous and look baseball savant will tell you he's in the 27th percentile for arm strength 15th percentile for outs above average um the offensive metrics get a little bit gross to um 34% whiff percentage, 10% strikeout percentage, 17th percentile and expected batting average. Um he's had his moments though and he pulls you back in here and there. Once out of every four or five games he'll come he'll come along and you'll be like, "Oh man, like that's why." He's never he's not exactly had a sustained level of play where you're like, "What is this guy doing here?" um because he's so so talented and because he's um, figuring out ways to make himself um, a valuable player on this roster. But when you look at the totality, it is worth wondering, what are you going to do here? We knew that this was a potential pitfall with the Yankees decision at the beginning of the year. You bring him up, he's staying up, dude. He's not going back down. You can't do yeah. that. That's how you fuck with somebody. And that's how you destroy their development. So one thing I was thinking of in my free time um, was – is there a world where Cabrera gets demoted, Peraza comes up, we do Volpe at second, Peraza at short, Glaber DH days? Um, I yeah. know that's going to be a little bit difficult because Donaldson and Stanton are coming back into the fold fairly soon, but maybe they quickly do it before both of those guys are back just so they could see what, what the infield picture would look like. Because, look, Glaber, Glaber is – Glaber is probably not a long-term fixture on this roster. I know people might think that conversation is kind of trending in a different direction because of how um, how good and his his bat's been very important to the lineup this year. Um, but I think the Yankees do have high hopes for 
Volpe and or Peraza to be even more effective at the plate. Um, it just so happens that there's not really room for Peraza at the moment because of the logjam and because they wanted to give Volpe the chance first. But now I'm wondering because Peraza is very good defensively at short. We saw that multiple times last year. And I don't know if the arm strength for Volpe is not going to improve. Um, maybe moving him to second for the long term might be the better decision. I'm just spitballing. I'm not saying make this choice right now. I think they should at the very least experiment, give Volpe a few more reps at second this year before people start coming in. And then you're really looking at a situation where you don't have any flexibility. Yeah. And it's tough because I keep writing about this. I can't get it out of my head. Like I think Peraza and Volpe is the middle infield of the future. Right. But I think Glaber Torres is the better second baseman option for the Yankees right now. Offensively, probably not defensively, but offensively. So at what point do you make the calculation? of now is the time to get rid of Glaber Torres and move Peraza in because we're not going to extend Glaber, but we still are trying to win now. So when do we know Peraza is ready enough to help us win now? And how can we know that if we don't try him at the major league level? And this team also, by the way, has to win now. So it's tough to, you can't really argue for Peraza over Glaber. You got to play them both. You got to DH Glaber. But at the same time, if you're ever going to make the determination that now is the time to move on to the kid and away from someone who we know is going to give you a 110, 115 OPS plus bat with key power and experience in big moments. Is it after this season that you decide to move on? Is it midway through next season? Is it two years from now? Because that's too long to keep Peraza at AAA. And it's the same reason why I don't want to demote Volpe because what else does he have to learn at AAA? All you're doing by demoting Volpe is saving his batting average from plummeting further, which is why I feel like if he has an awful June, then you have to be like, it's just not helping the kid's confidence to look at the board and see himself hitting 190, 180. Course. 178. Like that's the only thing to be gained from demoting him. But what about Glaber's value for a starting pitcher in a trade? Because I think at this point the Yankees they do need another starter because you can't rely on Nestor Cortez's issues to go away overnight. I don't think anyone's. I don't think anybody's sitting here expecting Carlos Rodon to come back this season and become a number two starter. Mm-hmm. You have Garrett Cole's problems creeping up again, and people know that those are not in necessarily going away for the long haul. Um, so Luis Severino, we, we, we like him when he's on. We don't know how long he's going to be on for. We don't know how long the ride is going to be. So do you, do you assess the situation now? You have Glaber Torres hitting the best he's been hitting in quite some time and take advantage of that and then go with that middle infield or is he too valuable of a bat to get rid of this season? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the front office is thinking, but then again, he was pretty good last year up until the all-star break and they were still entertaining trading him for Pablo Lopez when the offense was be, was gradually becoming underwhelming and underwhelming by the week, especially as we crept into July. So anything is really possible here. And that, that could be a scenario that unfolds quicker than we might expect. I think to deploy Glaber and trade, it's going to have to be like a, a contender to contender handshake deal. Like, yeah, um, no rebuilding team wants Glaber Torres, but maybe if the Giants are still in the wild card race, they'll deal surplus pitching yeah. for Glaber Torres. Like, 
I don't know. We'll, we'll have to figure that out when the time comes, but it's way, way more difficult than it should be. And it's resulted in Volpe struggling at the big league level, even though we all sort of know there's greatness in him. No one's watching him being like, this kid just sucks. Like, we all know he's yeah, exactly. great. Uh, but it's, and then Peraz is an overqualified AAA player because because what can you do? And speaking of overqualified AAA players, here comes Josh Donaldson, probably. Um, he, he hit a 109-mile-an-hour home run yesterday. He hit a massive double at AAA. The swing looks ready. He looks ready. He's hitting missiles. I actually want him to come back now. And this, mm. this is less controversial because of the Bader injury and because of what we've seen from – DJ LeMahieu in recent weeks and Anthony Rizzo getting dinged up over the weekend in that collision with Fernando Tatis Jr. It's resulted in more LeMahieu at first. Uh, it's resulted in more room on the it, – it's easier than ever to make room for Donaldson because you got an injured center fielder. Um, I don't think – I mean, Josh Donaldson's not coming back next year. This is the shortest of short-term plays. But if there's anything left in the bat, I want to see it. And if he goes down, he's going to go down swinging, hopefully, instead of looking – and uh, if he sucks, he sucks. Like it's just a one-year cost. DFAing him and eating the money doesn't affect anything beyond this season. But oh, would you look at that? Everybody complaining about how they're possibly going to fit him out of the roster. The solution presents itself so easily over the last couple of days, and now it's it's they kind of need him. Yeah, you need bodies. You need players who have major league experience to to keep the line moving. Um, yeah, it has been discouraging what we've seen from DJ really. Um, his strikeout rate has nearly doubled, um, like four hit his career strikeout rate is, um, 14.9%. The last two years it's averaged to be about, uh, I'm sorry. The last three years is averaged to be about somewhere around 12%, 25.6% this year. Walk rate is the lowest it's been since 2019. He's walking 8% of the time. Um, and then on top of that, he's batting 250, uh, I he's been, he's come through in a lot of situations, DJ, but um, there is something up because he's getting these weird days off. Aaron Boone's being super weird when discussing him, when people are asking questions about it. So I think it's a combination of him maybe being worn down. Maybe there being some ailment going on behind the scenes that doesn't exactly merit uh, media coverage or an IL stint. Um, and then the fact that he's like, he's, He's getting older and his best days, his best days are obviously behind him. We're not getting, we're not getting 2019, 2020 TJ LeMahieu anymore. Um, that was now three years ago, three, four years ago. So um, yeah, a little bit of a Donaldson injection into this lineup. And Hey, look with the way that this lineup is hitting too, it'll benefit the addition of Donaldson. I would be fine if the Yankees released him tomorrow, um, I am not going to be outraged if he comes back. There's clearly room for, if there was no room for him and everybody was performing, uh, perfectly and there was no, there were no holes in the infield and we didn't need any sort of reinforcement. Um, uh, I would take issue with him coming back, but now you do look at the totality of the situation and it's like, okay, lineup is kind of humming, even with some people underperforming. And then that won't put as much pressure on, Someone like Donaldson, who is another aging player, who has a lot of warts in his game that have developed over the last couple of years and um, is a lot more susceptible to them being exposed if he's relied upon to be a cleanup hitter on the New York Yankees or the number five hitter on the New York Yankees. Um, if the rest 
of the team is figuring out ways to get hits in spurts, produce runs in spurts, and Donaldson's batting seventh. I think that could be a great advantage for him. Um, and then you have the fact that he is a really good defender at third base. There's no denying that. Yeah. So I don't think we're going to be as outraged as we once were about his return. I also don't think we should be at this point. Uh, we got to welcome back as many reinforcements as we can to get us through um, these long months um, to in, and ensure that the rest of the roster is healthy and not really missing a beat. So when he comes back, hopefully we don't have a reason to be uh, whipping out the torch and pitchforks. And the fact that he's been hitting the ball like that at AAA, what was that over the last two two games? Somewhat encouraging, I suppose. But yeah, I, guys, I think he needs to come back whether you want him here or not. Yeah, uh, four for 12, home run, two ribs, 333, 1167 OPS at AAA. Fine. Cool. If not now, when the, the stars are aligning for Josh Donaldson to be a part of this roster. And the offense, again, put up 10 runs back-to-back games. So yeah. the people around him are humming, too. Look, I, I will raise my hand and say I'm wrong if he immediately comes back and the offense goes back to three hits per game and, and no runs or one run. I'm also not yeah. going to blame it on Josh Donaldson, but – yeah, if he sucks, you got to get rid of him. But there's no better time than the present to bring him back crazily enough. Now, a quick shout-out before the end of the podcast. Yeah. Um, shout-out to Chris Bassett for uh, yeah. uh, talking about Aaron Judge not cheating two weeks later. Two weeks later, saying he, did, he didn't cheat, but he did get signs. He lied, and, and that's a sin, I guess. And he got signs from the coaches, and that's a, gray, that's a gray area. No, it's not. It's not a gray area. It's like the most normal thing to ever happen. Uh, but thanks for saying that. For some reason, I hope uh, I hope a Blue Jay does an interview about this Aaron Judge situation every single week for the next 12 weeks as they continue to stay in last place. Special shout out to Doug Mankiewicz, who said that A-Rod is going to die a lonely man. I have never read a quote like that in my life. Uh, he also said his father of the year routine is nice, but I guess he's just trying to get into heaven. Oh, my God. What a withering insult. They used to be high school teammates. Um, and were Yankees teammates in 2007. A-Rod won the MVP that year. Doug Mankiewicz hates him more than he hates anyone on earth. So, uh, cool. Uh, 2004 Red Sox stuff and the Celtics stuff. Celtics came back from 3-0 down to uh, not win their first-round series. Uh, 3-0 to 3-3 to 3-4. Home loss, one of the worst, uh, one of the worst losses ever. Just a, an awful, awful home loss by 20 points to a number eight seed in the playoffs. Jalen Brown was dreadful. A trip to the finals was on the line. They did not uh, win that trip to the finals. But Mm. we have been catching strays for a fucking week about the 2004 Yankees. And, oh, my God, we're going to get the 2004 Red Sox. We're going to do it again. They're reincarnated in the bodies of basketball players. And Grant Williams is Bill Miller. And Malcolm Brogdon is Curtis Laskanik. And all this, like, inane bullshit that would have been the most inane bullshit in the world if it applied to any other city but since it's boston people give boston fans a pass and they're like hmm, this celtics team actually is like the 2004 red sox thing from city is a lot like thing from city like because boston just gets all the comebacks right 2004 28 3 why wouldn't they be the first team to come back from 3-0 down they go down 3-0 they get embarrassed in the third game they lose they're down 30 and they lose by like 20 and they look horrible and every boston fan spends that night on podcasts writing them off writing off the coach firing the coach saying we've never been more embarrassed by a roster like the the 2013 celtics against the knicks 
came back from 3-0 to 3-2 and almost came back from 20-something points down in game six. But this team won't do that because they're gutless. Kevin O'Connor says Joe Missoula is clueless, needs to get fired, um, all this stuff. And then the next morning, or two mornings later when they're about to play game four, every Celtics fan on fucking earth is like, I kind of think we're going to come back from 3-0. It's like, pick a lane. What is it? Do you have the most gutless roster in the history of sports, or are you going to win four games in a row, which no NBA team has ever done, because you also did this in 2004? Then Derek Jeter and A-Rod show up at game four, and we're hitting a fever pitch here, pun intended, and everybody is positive as the Celtics rally back in game four, they're going to win all the rest of these games. Oh, no, you shouldn't have let them win one. Why can't they have just tried harder in game three? God forbid they try harder earlier in the series. But no, now they're going to win every game in the series because 2004 uh, Mojo and who's Dave Roberts and blah, 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 whatever. They win game five. They win game six on a miracle putback. Oh, my God. It's 2004 reincarnated. And and you are lying, too. Like, Thomas, you felt it a little bit at that point. Like, when Derek White gets the the layup, you're kind of like, all right, these clowns were right. And, of course, they were right because they're always right. They lose the game yesterday. Oh my, they lose. They lose. They're out. They're gone. Lose. Kevin O'Connor tweets, it was always insulting to compare these Celtics to the 2004 Red Sox. Insulting. The Yankees were the league's most talented team with the biggest payroll. They were the favorites. Whereas the Celtics were the two seed, heavy favorites, and never should have trailed 3-0 to the eight seed heat. Let me give you a brief history lesson, Kevin. First of all, you people were comparing them to the 04 Red Sox. Not nobody else outside of Boston cared when you went down 3-0. No one was saying this team down 3-0 is a lot like that baseball team from 20 years ago. Only you <laughs> were saying that. Then the Yankees were the league's most talented team with the biggest payroll. The biggest payroll, when you say with the biggest payroll, you're insinuating that you had a tiny payroll. You didn't. You had the second highest payroll in baseball. You were good because you signed Kurt Schilling and because you signed Manny Ramirez to massive contracts. Also, the disparity in payroll, I looked this up. It was $181 million to $125 million, tiny payrolls nowadays. $38.5 million of that Yankees payroll disparity was Steve Carse, Jose Contreras, Javier Vasquez, and Kevin Brown, the worst players on the team. The Yankees use their payroll flexibility to sign bad people. That is not one team outclassing another in terms of spending. That's one team, both teams spending the same level, and then one team spending extra money to suck more and add more bad players. Uh, Basically, the difference between the two rosters payroll was that Alex Rodriguez was on the Yankees and was not on the Red Sox. That's pretty much the difference between the two payrolls. And again, one and two. The Red Sox were not some scrappy underdog. They were the favorites, Kevin O'Connor says about the Yankees. They actually weren't. The Red Sox were the betting favorites to start that series because the Red Sox won 98 games in the regular season and the Yankees won 101 and their Pythagorean record based on how lucky they'd gotten, based on the talent on the staff and the way the rotation was constructed, they were expected to go 89 and 73 in a just world. The Red Sox were better. So we don't need to lie about the most impressive comeback in baseball history to make it impressive. The Red Sox striking back against their hated rival to win four games in a row is the biggest playoff choke in professional sports history and also the most impressive single-series playoff achievement ever in the history of organized sports. We don't need to lie about it to embellish it further. The Red Sox were favored. The Red Sox were better. The Red Sox were more like the Heat than this year's Celtics, to be honest. Stars up front, role players doing their job, Caleb Martin meet Bill Miller, 
And the Red Sox franchise was gaining steam in the same way Heat culture was at that point in time. Theo Epstein was a god. The Red Sox were a top four or five most prominent franchise in Major League Baseball. And again, they won 98 games and were better than the Yankees. It was just as surprising that they went down 3-0 as the fact that this year's Celtics team went down 3-0 to a scrappy Heat team. Everybody agreed the Celtics were fool's gold. But of course, you spend a week assuring us that they're going to come back and they have this magic. And then as soon as they don't, you say, actually, just kidding. And you're disrespectful for comparing the 04 Red Sox to this team, even though I did it first. And so did the rest of my city. I don't hate humans from Boston. I hate Dave Portnoy from Boston. I hate what Boston has become in popular culture. This Teflon nonsense, this army of faceless Twitter drones, people claim it, it, people claiming they don't care about your feelings, but they care so much about their feelings. They center themselves in the sporting universe. They want to be the only people uh, it, it, listening to Bill Simmons dissect this loss yesterday was basically just the way the Yankee fans have sounded to their enemies for like 40 years. The Celtics weren't good enough. And he was like, Man, we just don't have a guy like Jokic. We don't have, like, this security blanket. Oh, you don't have the two-time running MVP? Then maybe you just aren't as good as Denver is. Like, the most surface level, like, well, of course the Celtics should have a player as good as Jokic because I love the Celtics. So they should have the best players. Well, they don't. They fucking don't. And they lost in this series that, uh, yeah, they had no business going down 3-0, but they also had no business climbing back into it. They should have lost game six. They did lose game seven on their home floor in front of the most Bostonians possible. Hilarious. Thank you. Yeah, I'll follow that up. Um, fuck Boston. I think that's <laughs> well, where we end had, up. You had them losing in game seven at home before anybody else. And you were I didn't publicly say it. Yeah. I, I didn't publicly say it because um, if you guys have gotten to know me, when I publicly say things, the exact opposite happens. So when I tell a select group of people that after they, after we knew they were winning game five, because all the quotes were coming out saying, don't let us win tonight. You know, uh, uh, who was it? Kevin Millar. It's Kevin Millar quote. Yeah. So Kevin um, Millar said that by the way. And then Brown and Marcus Smart started saying, don't let us win tonight. And then people uh, started, cause people have goldfish memories. They, they just said like, Oh, great. Marcus Smart quotes. No, they're ripping. They were ripping off the 04 Red Sox and they were doing it a week ago. So I guess I said the fans did it first. The Celtics did it first. The yeah. players on the team did it first. Well, and then they did it after game six. Yeah. They said before game seven, don't let us win tonight. And it's like, what? Of course. Of course you can't win tonight. You'll win the series and the Heat will lose. That, that That's not applicable. Um, very stupid. I think that kind of jinxed everything. But yeah, I mentioned it in private. I said, you know, what would be really great is if they they're going to win game four. You know, they are. They're not going to go down that that pathetically. They can just win these next two. And then the heat can the heat can take it on the road and just disappoint people who spent so much money on tickets, so much money on tickets to watch this team. That isn't that good. It's it was a good team, but it wasn't that good. The Celtics. I have not Dove deep into NBA recently, but I watch enough to know that this team was not exactly, you know, the the amount of hype it was getting for championship, the championship caliber praise, the fact that we were seeing odds yesterday before the game started, what the series would look like if it was Celtics Nuggets or Nuggets Heat. The Celtics were favored in the series against the Nuggets, which I 
couldn't disagree with more. I don't know how that would be the case. The Nuggets just steamrolled through the West, which is still a more difficult conference than the East. Um, as soon and- as the Celtics won game four to the odds I saw were Heat in seven plus 950. People were just saying if it gets to seven, the Heat are not going to win. They just discounted it entirely. It's crazy. Um and yeah, the Nuggets are just, they're a, a matchup nightmare for everybody. And the Celtics don't play defense that well. Not anymore. So know, yeah. Who is going to contain Jokic? Jamal Murray is back. I think people are forgetting Jamal Murray is back. He's back to being the player he was before his torn ACL. So that like, you look at that stuff too, and it's like, all right, now we're really jumping the gun. We're really getting ahead of ourselves. And you know, that's why we hate Boston. Um, I know a lot of this wasn't exact. Is Kevin O'Connor a Celtics fan? Yeah, he, he was oh. plucked from the uh, SB Nation Celtics blog. Bill Simmons hired him out of the SB Nation Celtics blog. Yeah. Now he tries to pretend like he's uh, impartial. But again, he tweeted that the coach is clueless. He's basketball Barabbas. Yeah. Some of his tweets are now subscriber only, too. So if you want to pay, oh, cool. read Kevin O'Connor's insights. Those are good. Those good, are good, good Twitter luck. accounts, usually. Yeah, those are the best ones. <laughs> But yeah, uh, enjoy Boston. Um, no one does heartbreak like Boston sports, right, dude? Nobody. No Seriously, yeah. There is no place, no place with a better heartbreak history than Boston sports. Constantly co-opting their parents and grandparents' suffering, which I guess was real, but the Celtics were still winning 10 straight championships. it was real. The 50s. Well, the Red Sox stuff was real, but the Celtics yeah. were the, the, are the preeminent NBA franchise. In, in many ways, they are the Yankees because since 2008, 2009 – I think everybody watches the Yankees going, they're going to get close, but I don't actually have to worry about them winning a title, do I? And I've, until this year, watched the Celtics the same way, going like, yeah, I mean, they're going to get to the conference finals, but they choke. Like, I don't have to worry about them. This is the first time I actively worried about them. I did. When they won game six, I was like, fuck. Like, they're, they might just, uh, like, they, they, sh- they have no business beating the Denver Nuggets. But once they come back from 3-0 down, they have another, you know, feather to put in their cap. And then, uh, you know, they play the finals. Like, the 0-4 Red Sox were probably not as good as the Cardinals, and they steamrolled them. So I was like, Mm -hmm. you never know. Maybe they just beat the Nuggets in five. They have home court in that series. But you know what? They actually don't have home court in that series because they're not playing that series. Um, So it's been way too long. Boston, for too long, has been able to just sort of lean back and be like, we're probably going to come back, though, right? Because we always come back from impossible deficits. And not this time, maybe next year. Uh, the 2004 Red Sox were a great team. 2023 Celtics, not so much. Good. That is, uh, that's probably the last time we're going to talk about basketball, I hope, on the Asco yeah. Yard podcast. But we will see you again on Thursday, just two days from now. I'm glad to get that Boston stuff off my chest. Again, my friends from Boston, great people. Dave Portnoy, huge, huge piece of shit. And so... Every time that uh, the Boston, New York dichotomy has just changed. It changed forever when the two most prominent sports media companies, uh, both the prestigious one and the angry white guy one, were both run by Boston billionaires. Because those two, Bill Simmons, I laugh at Bill Simmons, he's fine, but he centers Boston in the national media landscape and, and the Barstool people center Boston in the angry frat boy landscape. So... Uh, beating Boston is a lot more is about a lot more than just beating a city at this point. It's and my friends can enjoy Boston sports without thinking about that, but I can't because I think about that all the time. Like Boston is now the number one, the center of all sports media because the two most prominent male figures who lead these sports media enterprises are Bostonian. So beating them feels awesome. Sorry, it just does. 
um, and beating Portnoy most of all. But we'll see, and we'll talk about Yankees baseball. Uh, we will not get in a Boston sports rabbit hole, I promise. Um, I, I pledge, I hope not, um, when we come back on Thursday. Uh, and hopefully Aaron Hicks is a Baltimore Orioles, so we can actually get a look at that and have some inside information. Until then, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you want to hear the audio version, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Weiner, where I definitely tweeted a thousand times last night as the Miami Heat pulled away from the Celtics. I apologize for my game six tweets. I really do, but it made the game seven stuff all that much better. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? Everyone, I'm at Tommy's underscore takes. You can find the both of us at the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter at Yanks Go Yard FS. Head on over to YanksGoYard.com. Plenty of content there. You guys are reading. Seem to be having fun. Everyone's yelling at me about this Tatis article too. Yeah, are you getting um, emailed? Why are you getting I'm emailed? getting emailed. People are telling me I'm full of shit. And it, I said that his base running error injured Anthony Rizzo because he very much made a base running error. It's he really was, easy not to hit people in the head and neck area. I didn't even blame him for that. I blame him for fucking dancing around between first and second when they were when they were putting pressure on the Yankees and were down by five, or they they needed a rally and he got on base, and then he's getting picked off at first like an idiot. Like that's the base running error. The base running error wasn't, you know, I did say, you know, maybe slide there, maybe don't, you know, dive back with like a complete you just watch the replay, you're like is, does this guy know how to run the bases? So I wasn't blaming Tatis for injuring Anthony Rizzo. I was blaming Tatis for being an idiot on the base paths, putting his team in a bad position. And then it's like the person on the highway driving like 45 in the left lane. Mm-hmm. That's like causing traffic behind it. They're not doing anything dangerous or wrong, but they're causing traffic behind everybody else. They're getting everybody else angry. They're forcing other people into rash decision-making. Like that's what – that's what Tatis was doing. He was like the idiot not paying attention on the road and not abiding by the rules of the road. And then it ended up screwing somebody else over. That's the best way I can. That's the best analogy I can make at this point. I didn't blame him for injuring Anthony Rizzo. He obviously took part in it because he was deciding to take a gigantic lead off of first base when he had no reason to, but read, read the article before you email me. I'm happy to listen and read the emails, but I mean, come on now. Uh, but yeah, head on over there. You guys are reading. You're having fun. We're commenting. We're going back and forth. Um, and don't forget about DraftKings code Yanks Go Yard. Um, don't forget about it. It's very important. Uh, we'll talk to you next on Thursday live, 2 p.m. Eastern, right here. Yankees in Seattle. Let's get another dub tonight. Feel real good. We'll be right here. Hopefully we keep it rolling. Booney not concerned about the Rizzo and Bader injury, so I'm trying not to be as well. But we'll have more data and info for you on Thursday. And if you called the Celtics, the 2004 Red Sox, you should be ashamed. See you on Thursday.